foreign language we know that's 10 less bullets we have to throw down range and i know there's no real formula but there has to, i know there's something to that and and so when we when we're overseas whether it's in the, the absolute operations the collection and processing of intelligence or operations we need those foreign languages both for signals intelligence for you know reading your email or you know collecting what you say on the cell phone or or for interrogations and but also if you think about what Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got Brian Nelson. Brian, thanks for making time. Yes, I'm flattered. Thank you. So I know we're going to talk a lot about your time in the um, intelligence world within the Army and, and special operations community. But let's start off talking about this event you've got coming up for your charity. Oh, yeah, great. It's, the event is called Unleashed at Stadium Bowl. We would have done our 10th in August would have been our 10th annual uh, in-person race. And we were we were holding off and holding off trying to get in, in Washington, we, we, there were indications that we might be able to do something outdoors. And, and so we, when that, that hope finally was crushed completely, we just said, well, let's, let's do a virtual event. And so we're doing a virtual event. The, the registration is open until Friday, the 20th. And, and what we're asking people to do is find staircases in their community to climb and then use Strava and, and, and then update, you know, send a picture on, on our Facebook. But yeah, it's, the race is actually held at, if any of your listeners are familiar with the movie, 10 Things I Hate About You, that school is Stadium High School in Tacoma, Washington. And so we race up and down the stairs at that, at that school. And it's, a, it's an absolute bent over mouth breathing, sucking air, anaerobic experience, right? Like it's, I say it's fun, like a throat punch, right? Like, and it's, it, it, it's, it, it, it the route that we have in this stadium, which is about 110 years, 115 years now, 115 years old. And this was built way before OSHA, right, Jess? And so it's steep and there's no handrails and the, the stairs are uneven. It's, a, it's this huge, beautifully, beautiful concrete bowl. But, but it started as Officer PT. I think I told you that as uh, when I was a battalion commander. And, um, and tell people the, so let's say somebody goes to the website. What's the website? Unleashed at stadiumbowl.org and bowl is B-O-W-L. Stadium is just like it sounds. And I mean, you've been talking to me about this for years, but for people who don't know, what does the money go to? What are you guys doing? The money goes to uh, an animal rescue that Kelly and I founded called Kindred Souls Foundation. And we find homes for abandoned, abused, provide sanctuary to abandoned, abused and neglected dogs and cats of all ages. So we, yeah, we, we take care of our uh, furry friends that provide us reasons to live, right? Unabated, unadulterated, pure love. Yeah, it's good for the soul. Well, I know you've been passionate about this because we've been talking about it for as many years as I've known you. You're always, you've always <laughs> yeah, been talking about yeah. it. So I, I love it when people live the message. That's great. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to go sign up and hopefully other people listening will as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, let's let's talk a bit more about some of your career and some of the the fun things you've done trying to help protect this country. Do you want to give people just a thirty second overview, and then we'll dive into some different parts? 
Sure. I spent uh, it's nearly 27 years in the military. I was enlisted for almost a decade as a as a young tanker when I joined, and then the Army gives you a, a language aptitude test. And so I decided to go to Monterey and surf and learn Russian in the meantime, and and then spent uh, the next six years in Europe and back in here in Joint Base Lewis or Fort Lewis, Washington, as a, a signals intelligence analyst. Then I went through officer candidate school, went out into the guard, and I was a part-time guard soldier officer then as, a, as an intelligence officer, and then went back into the guard full-time right after the, I think, 2002, and spent the next 13, 14 years active duty in the guard. Deployed to Afghanistan in, oh, we say 05, we say OEF 05, 07. So we moved up in, in 05 and spent 06 and part of 07 overseas in, in Afghanistan and then came back and I think I sh- I've shared with you some of the, the language training innovations that I had installed in the Army. And then I ended my career both helping soldiers transition Monday through Friday. And my go-to-war job was the the J-2 for the Special Operations Detachment Pacific. And that was, that was an interesting line of work. The most fun I think we had was going to Cambodia and training their, their staff their uh, Cambodian special forces on military decision-making processes, which is makes people want to eat a pistol, right? Like <laughs> the military decision-making is just pedantic and uh, it's, it's super, super effective. Right. But, but, but not the, not the sexiest of, of, of things that we, that we do. So. Well, I want to talk about task force dagger. I want to talk about, you know, some of the innovations that you built with, with helping people with language skills, both you know, special operations community, intelligence community. But I want to, first thing I want to do is thank you for the introduction to Tom Bigley. Our listeners have have had a few episodes of Tom talking about his time in both in the Rangers and in the special mission unit. And he's been a huge help to us at, at our charity, Child Rescue, all these years. And it's 100% due to you. Thanks for making that happen. Oh, no, yeah, you bet. I mean, he's an, Tom's an absolute gunfighter, right? And a, and a true operator. And I, I'm not that guy, right? To be to be absolutely clear, but it was. I guess sometimes you're just grateful in the military to be exposed to people like that that are to rub shoulders with men and women of such profound character and and guts, right? Like I mean, courage and and you know we need we need what did what did Orwell say? It might not be Orwell, but it, we all attribute it to him. Men sleep peaceably at night because rough men stand on walls ready to do violence on their behalf, right? Like that's the world we live in, right? And then we may not want to admit that all the time, but it's it's good to have characters that, you know, somebody that's as rough as Tom that's doing something so noble to help, you know, stop trafficking. I mean, that's why you get strong, right? It's not to to flex your pack; it's to protect the vulnerable, you know. So, Love anyways, it. yeah, I'm I'm I'm. I'm I'm not surprised that you guys hit it off famously, but it's just awesome to know that that, that it did. Yeah. Well, let's talk about for people who, you know, they mostly just hear about what you guys do, the intelligence work and and help out with the special operations community. For, you know, for most people, it's it's the movies. You know what I mean? That's that's mostly the reference yeah. that they get, right? Right. When you think about and and I want to let's talk about languages for a bit because it's it's maybe sure. something that doesn't get beat to death on podcasts like this and stuff. So when you say you went to Monterey, I'm guessing a lot of people aren't familiar with the Defense Language Institute that's there. Can you right. can you talk about why DLI is such an effective program? Yeah. So I'll try and talk it from my, I guess, from my personal experience. One, we have, so we call it purple suited. So when you go to Monterey, all services 
Marine Corps, Navy, well, you know, so the Navy, Air Force, Army, plus the DEA, FBI, and uh, CIA use the Defense Language Institute as its language acquisition place. And I was in class, 10 students to an instructor who was a native Russian who had a master's degree from the University of uh, St. Petersburg in English. And they were all expats, right? So everyone, you're always taught by a, a, a native. And it's eight hours a day, seven or eight hours a day. And the classes are so small that you can't hide, right? Like you can't hide behind your book and say, uh, I'm not paying. But it's, I had, I think, 1,625 contact hours of Russian in a year. You know what we call it? If, you're, if, you, if you have an undergraduate degree in Russian at University of Utah, you get maybe 150 hours, right, of, of language, contact language training, right? So we... So you, and, and an example might be when, when you're a student there, we all talk about like, when did you dream in the language? So you're so overwhelmed with the language that, and, and, you know, Russian is in Cyrillic. So Cyrillic, some of the letters are the same, but they have different sounds. Like the letter Y is the sound ooh. The letter C is the sound of S. And the letter N, like a lowercase N typed N, is a P sound. So when I'm driving around Monterey and everything is, you know, Canyon Road, but the abbreviation is CYN, you're so engrossed in Russian that I'd read that. And, and that's how you spell soup in Russian. <laughs> C, right? C-Y-N. And, and so anyways, you're like, it's, a, it's an unbelievable mind shift. And so if you think about like the neuroscience behind that, the number of reps that you get just pounded into your head and, and the myelin, you know, wrapping around these neural pathways is you just can't beat it anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, you could go in country, right? But but we we just can't do that for, for every language. So, so very quickly and in very short order, we get people that are capable of reading, writing, and speaking uh, foreign languages in anywhere from six months to 18 months, kind of depending on, on the difficulty of the language. So uh, how does that long help? is the Russian that, program? Yeah. The Russian was, I think, we call it 48 weeks. So it's it's really a year, but you you know there's a couple of weeks off for uh, Christmas and and then you know a week or two off here and there. But yeah, so it's 48 weeks, but we a year. Yeah, yeah. And so for people who you know maybe haven't thought as much about how language skills can be a force multiplier, how they can you know significantly impact mission success, can you maybe give a few examples that maybe just aren't as obvious or, or just that you feel like stood out the most to you in your career? Yeah. So one, I, I think what might be the easiest way to think of this for somebody who hasn't been overseas is to think about how their own heart opens when they see somebody struggling with English at Costco or, you know, in, in you like you, you, and they're trying to speak our language and your, your heart melts to that effort. Right. So, so like we all know that feeling. Right. And, and so I used to, I used to say a word and it, it, I just made this shit up. Right. Like, but it's like for every word of foreign language, we know that's 10 less bullets we have to throw down range. And I know there's no real formula, but there has, I know there's something to that. And, and so when we, when we're overseas, whether it's in the, the absolute operations, the col collection and processing of intelligence or operations, we need those foreign languages, both for signals intelligence, for you know, reading your email, for you know, collecting what you're saying on the cell phone, or, or for interrogations. And, but also, if you think about what, and if we're running sources overseas, trying to find out where you know, sources tell, telling us things that we, we, we need to know, 
the more we can try to use their language, they're, they're, I mean, people are people, right? So their hearts are going to open to us more, right? And the other thing too about languages is, is once you begin to learn a foreign language, there is something that like, I don't think, I don't think true empathy is possible without beginning to learn someone else's language. There's something that shifts in you that, that understanding, like, like one word, authentic in, in English is nastayashi in, in, in Russian. And for some reason, I think nastayashi feels more authentic. But so it's so like when we learn a foreign language, we're, we're, we're capable of thinking. It's like horsepower in the brain. Your 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 ability. Your brain just has more more torque. Let's say so. Your ability to connect connect things it, it increases uh, rapidly. But yeah, we need to and and think about all of the. If we could say, if every soldier could say 500 words, the incidents that we would have of a let's just say whether it's friendly fire or or, or non-combatant casualties that are at a traffic control point, a misunderstanding because we don't understand the language. All of that can be abated, right, with, with, with more effective language training. So does that answer that very well? I'm not sure. Yeah, that's great. So I guess the, the next question that's occurring to me is thinking about intelligence collection, right, without revealing any TTPs. And by the way, is that tactics, techniques, and procedures? What's the P? Procedures. Sometimes I think we'll say protocols, tactics, techniques, yeah. protocols, but it's, it's, it's more likely procedures. I think procedures is. I think it's funny <laughs> yeah. that your guys' world yeah. is so full of acronyms. Everybody knows what it we means, but they, it maybe means. they can't tell you what it stands for. Right. Right. Okay. Right, right, right. So obviously without revealing TTP and stuff, my first thought is thinking about, you know, you, we were talking beforehand about some things maybe in some more overt intelligence collection that you'd been a part of over in the sandbox. Right. Talking about myelination and meaningful repetitions and stuff like this. Yeah. What are some aspects of that when it comes to the skills of, of intelligence collection that maybe aren't obvious or that, that really just stood out to you by doing it even more so than you would have otherwise thought of? That's a good question. And I, and I think that my, my, frust, my frustration with maintaining my own language capacity in, in Russian, and, and, and to, be, to be clear, Jess, once I, I was a good student at DLI, but as you move up in leadership, you know, the, the language is, is like an operator, like a, a lower level, highly needed skill. The, the further you become much more of a manager. And so, and I wasn't the most disciplined of, let me say this, and I'm no linguophile, right? Like I didn't fall in love with Russian and I haven't read War and Peace in language. Like, like it, was, it was just a, it was a means to an end. It was, I, I just wanted to go to Monterey and surf, right? And, and, and Russian seemed to be the, the Cold War was thawing, right? That was the analysis I, I put into it. I thought Russian might be something lucrative to know. But so we, you, the forgetting curve, I'm sure most people are kind of familiar with that. Like we forget rapidly. And, and so when we are trying to reinforce words that we have learned or language that we have learned, if we forget exponentially, the question I was, uh, that, that occurred to me is like, what's the best time to study? And I would ask this question, I'd brief people and most people would think, well, wouldn't it be in the morning or, you know, in the evening? And my thought would be, wouldn't it be the day before you forget, right? Like, isn't that the best time, the most effective, right, way to study? And so the what I think about myelination and, and language training, I think of a 10-set rep in, in exercise. And what we want to do, it's, it just goes to that the, the thought of like deliberate practice, right? Deliberate practice is you're going to miss a few times. So 
if we think about exercise, if we're doing a 10 step rep, when do you need a spotter? You don't need a spotter rep one through seven, right? You need the spotter on rep eight, nine, 10. And that's when you actually are fatiguing the muscle and the real muscle is being exercised. That's how we have to train foreign languages. You get this base of, of understanding, but then we have to refresh at a time so that it's not like you, you, we, you don't need to, to refresh pronouns or colors, right? You need to refresh words that are just at the tip of your tongue and you struggle with them trying to draw that connection. So like language training should be about 10 minutes of really hard, not fun effort. And if we did that every day, right? Like you'd be good. We'd know three to 5,000 words and, 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 and be able to, to communicate. So is this... I feel like you were, maybe you were doing stuff with 19th Special Forces group at this time. I can't remember. But I feel like this is when you started talking to me about like taking principles from CrossFit and bringing it to language training for oh. intelligence called like LingFit. Is that, is that yeah, related yeah, yeah, here? Yeah, 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 yeah. Where, where were you? Because what we, I was actually that, I was actually still in the MI battalion. So we had created- Military intelligence people. Military intelligence. Yeah, I'm sorry. Military intelligence. We in, in 04, when I was a company commander, we used to train language like a few hours a week or a few hours on drill every other, you know, every month. And it was just an absolute waste of time. And so what I had developed was what I called language immersion, ISO immersion. I couldn't send my guys to Red China, but maybe I could bring Red China here. And so I readjusted the drill schedule and we violently shoved 150 contact hours down their throats in two weeks, right? So class was 12 hours a day all, you know, for two weeks. So I went through it myself and it was miserable, right? But super effective. And, and then one day as I was leading our after action review for this language immersion, I was like, Hey guys, you're looking good, right? You just went through the language fat farm. You dropped 10 pounds of fat and added 10 pounds of muscle, right? But, but McDonald's is right side outside the wire. And in six months, you're going to be a bunch of fat bodies again, right? And, and the army frowns on fat bodies. So so I was like, what you need? And I, and I, it was just like, it was just this like stream of consciousness. I need, you need something hard. It's got to be short. It's got to be intense. It should be tribal. And I look over at my language manager and I was like, what we F-bomb need is CrossFit for language training. And so we like stopped and like finished up the AR, went back, pulled up the CrossFit site. And it's like, how do you take these principles of short, intense workout and do it for language training? This was 08 when we were talking about it. And so we built LingFit. You're right. It was a it was a 10-minute WADS workouts of the day in uh, foreign language training, and it was a lot of repetitions. You know, like you read something and then, or listen to something and then, you know, answer questions on it. But, but yeah, so that's that's where it came from. Was and and so I, I don't think muscle fibers are that different than brain fibers, right? Well, let's say the 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 effortful exertion is how you build strength, and and it, it's how you build knowledge. So I think the principles are sound. So it was pretty cool. Total. Total tangent, you know, when I was when I was the CEO of a private equity fund, we were looking at raising money in China. So we worked with big giant US firm with their I went over and met their offices in Beijing and anyways, so I bought, you know, Mandarin on Rosetta Stone and I studied that before we went and I I my top sales rep was actually originally a petroleum engineer from Jilin. And, you know, you know, he, he played tour guide. It was great. <laughs> it was a super low right, right, stress right. trip. Right. But, but later I decided to do some Spanish and I got on Duolingo and I found it more effective 
when I had done way it. Way more effective. It? I was going to ask way. how you feel about Duolingo. Duolingo is good. And if you listen, there's a, there's a Tim Ferriss podcast where the CEO, can't remember his name, of, 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 of Duolingo. And Tim asked him, like, what would, you know, what is the, the most effective way? And, and basically he, I, I echo, and I agree 100%, but he's like, just do, I think he might have said 15 or 20 minutes. Just do it every single day, right? And, and so Duolingo is real language. You know what Rosetta Stone is? They've just had the best marketing. It's a yellow box. In the language community, we dismiss it, right? Like it's just a yellow box. Of, but it was uh, got a very effective marketing and, and the army, the army bought it and it was, I thought, an absolute disaster, right? And so, but no, Duolingo is good. Transparent Language has a another app that's very good. And I think they've got a library app, but they do actually, Transparent Language does a, a thing called Coached Cohorts, which was essentially LingFit, you know, 3.0. But, but anyways, yeah, Duolingo is good. And if you could just do it 15 minutes a day, I would cut it in half. Like, do, I guess the tiny habits thinking, right? Like just open the app every single day. That'd be the first thing. And if you can do that and then maybe get up to 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes, you know, a year from now, you, you'll speak Spanish. Well, I want to key in on something else you said earlier. You talked about the the need for empathy in source development as in the intelligence work. And I think about the like, I think about the hours that you and I have talked about leadership and human interaction and stuff over the years. And yeah, uh, I'm really interested in your thoughts about about the role of empathy in, in developing a source. I... So let me let me think. So I think that it's a double-edged sword. First of all, because there is uh, why I feel I feel almost uncomfortable. Well, there's this, a, but it's, there's a danger, right? So there's a danger. Yes. Of yeah. There's over a danger. Identification. Yeah. Yep. 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 We call them puck and, lovers, right? With our our interrogators. So puck is person under control, right? And and just imagine you're spending a hundred hours with a guy in a booth. Right. And, and you, you begin to develop, you become friends, right? Like you develop a relationship and your job is to exploit that, 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 that's a, and some people can't do it. We've had, we've had some people that their, their faith Can I just stop you? That they, sure. Can I just stop you? It's so funny how, depending on the community you're from, how words have different meanings, right? Yeah. In, yeah. Yeah. In our world of the Child Rescue Association and all the work we do with with counter trafficking and counter child exploitation, there is never a time where exploitation is a positive word. Do you know what I mean? In that community, right, because right, of the context, right, 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 right. right? Yeah, right. in the intelligence community, special operations community, you know, when people say like, "Oh, we went and did some SSE," you know, we go do some sensitive site exploitation. Right, 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 right. Like right, right, right. the way a regular human would say that is like, "We went in and gathered all the stuff we thought might have something that we could learn from." <laughs> You know, but like in the military, I feel like there is like, there's a priority on, we need some, we need to come up with an acronym for this and we need to use some (laughs) word that civilians wouldn't normally use for that. Right. Right, 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 right. So so let's just clarify when we mean exploitation, we mean, you know, gaining the maximum benefit. We don't mean inherently doing wrong to others. Right, 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 right. And yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. It's, it's, what's happening? I guess, which, it's, you know, you, you become institutionalized with your language which, and, and I'm gonna forget what other people add, might think. Yeah. What I am going to add to that is, you know, I think about whether it's all the books from, you know, former FBI intelligence guys or agency guys or DEA or whatever. There is obviously individuals that do dehumanize and they do, unfortunately, they do stray into exploitation. And like, 
there's a real moral compass needed to do that work and keep your soul, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And I think if you talk about, and I'm just thinking of some of my men and women, the the PTS that they experienced is that, Jess. It wasn't indirect or direct fire, right? It's it's the moral wrestling that they did with feeling that they might have. And so, so instead of saying exploit, maybe a way to, to maybe... This this word might not sound maximize abuse of friendship. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to say like yeah, take advantage of a friendship, right? Like because we need this information, right, to keep American lives safe, right? So there's a, I you know I believe a, a higher order ethical and moral right there, but but to get to that, you you are taking advantage of a, of a relationship that you made. And, you know, and I don't think people that that's not unless you're a soulless, right? Like that's that's going to leave a mark, and then you're going to you have know, to wrestle with that for a long time. It makes me think of some distinct conversations I've had with some snipers and like some some SF guys, you, you know, Army Special Forces, Green Beret guys, right? Mm-hmm. And there's one guy specifically, really good friend, who he and I have had the discussion of like he feels like part of the reason he didn't have the same kind of PTSD as some other folks is he felt like by he didn't dehumanize his opponents, you know, and he felt yep. like yep. he up front had this hard conversation with himself about like, hey, I may need to end human life, right? And right. that's going to suck for them. It's going to suck for their mom. It's going to suck for their family. Right. And right. yet, right. when I look at all the areas that I'm responsible and like when I think about the humanity of everybody I'm involved with, because I now have this connection to the you know, the the guy who's running towards all my guys with his suicide vest on, you know, the guy who's who's unloading his machine gun at, at my guys, right? He's right got that right, AK forty right. seven on full auto, right? And and this kind of idea of, that he talked to me about is this idea of like that he felt like he mentally got to this place of taking responsibility of how bad that was going to be. This, you know, this guy's life's going to end. It's going to, yeah. it's going to be rough for his family. It's going to be rough for their town. Right. And yet he was going to have to say like, but I also have other responsibilities, which is I told my wife, I was going to come home after this tour of duty. Yeah. I signed up for the job of helping keep all of these other eight guys on my ODA team alive or 12 guys, you know, whatever it is. Right. And yeah. And that, that like essentially like he wasn't going to be responsible if he didn't keep the like weighing all these things as tough as it was going to be for that guy to lose his life when he was looking at like the full circle of responsibility that he wouldn't be being responsible to not take that arguably very tough action right you know what a thing i don't know who this guy is but my my thought is an old soul um and and somebody that confronted very early the realities of the business that we were in and what a what a responsible human being and what a mature right i guess the other word that comes is is mature because i'm i'm thinking about what I'm thinking about or what I was thinking about when you are and what most the, the most of us are thinking about is you're mobbing up or you're you're deploying or we're we're in war and and initially I think everybody that's wearing a uniform after 9-11 we wanted revenge, right? And protect protect and uh, protect who we are and and but but those are such surface right and and base kind of feelings and responses. This guy actually uh, and no wonder he didn't have PTS because I think that he had confronted that and wrestled with that prior to having to do it, right? And so I think what 
what happens with with a lot of us, and it's probably not just. I, mean, I I know it's not just combat, but it's 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 anything in life when you have seen maybe what you're capable of, right? Or or have done something that you didn't think you were capable of, and you have to now wrestle with the fact that you did that, right? Like that that takes that takes a lot of reflection, right, and a lot of grace, you know, right? Uh, yeah, we had this. You're right. It does apply all over life. You know, great show I got to record yesterday. The guy who's former CEO of Live Nation, you know, those guys are like a $14 billion company and 35,000 staff part-time, full-time. And wow. they, you know, and so they're, they're like the biggest concert promoter in the world. If you add up all the other ones, all the other people put on concerts put together, their company is bigger than all the rest in the world put together. Okay. Wow. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And he talks about this idea of like acceptance and dealing with stuff and like, he was he was open about you know mistakes that he felt like he'd made with substance abuse and stuff and he's like mm-hmm. you know i'm tempted not to tell you about that because i want your acceptance and i and i want to bury that about myself and that's not yeah. a great thing to do you know and and this you know as this guy from sf talked about how he felt like a lot of his friends had had really tough times afterwards because it's a it's a lie to say that another human life doesn't matter right right and it takes right. a lot of work to right. keep that lie alive and right you know i i have i have a guy that i got really close to i have a huge amount of respect for from from the marine special operations community who he, he we had some real heart to hearts about some really tough things that he went through because he was on the tip of the spear and he he maybe hadn't come into it with that and and he had some real demons to work through afterwards. And, and my heart goes out to him. You know what I mean? Because that, yeah, yeah. That was a that was a real tough thing for him in the following years. And I'm probably to this day still, right? Yeah. And yet yeah. how how great that he's actually trying to deal with it instead of yeah. you know, you know, you look at how many how many soldiers we lose to suicide and special operations community to alcoholism, you know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I guess what keeps coming up to me is because we we started down this road on empathy, right? And it's it's the cost of life, right? It's the cost of being human is to feel another person's pain, and and yeah, it sucks, right? Like it does. But if we don't, then we become really sociopathic, right? I mean, it, I think by definition, right? If you can't feel somebody else's pain, and and that's. That's just not. That's an empty life, you know. If we if we if we shut ourselves off to that pain, you you can't you can't pick and choose the feelings that we have, right? So if we if we shut ourselves down to to the 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 pain of others and the the reality of the things that we're 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 doing, then we then we shut ourselves off from joy and love and 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 real authentic connection. Yeah. Listen. So we're about. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> this went all over the place. There's so it? much yeah. to that. There's so much to that. Well, and and so we want to split the interview in half here. This will be the end of part one. There's so many things yeah. I want to talk about this. We'll, we'll we'll launch in this in part two. Okay. Before we go, before we go though, again, can you give everybody the the website for for your event? Again? Yeah, thanks, Jess. It's un, unleashed at stadiumbowl.org. And uh, yeah, if you just if you just Google that in Unleashed at Stadium Bowl, uh, you'll you'll find it. You'll see our Facebook and you'll see our our website, and you can register from the website. But yeah, I really, I really appreciate it. We, half of our operating costs for Kindred Souls Foundation comes from our race. And so it, it's like, a, we since we're going to do it virtual, I, I'm really excited to see where other places to climb stairs are in the country, right? Uh, and we've got like, there's a place called Public Walks. There's, we have a website uh, in the registration. You can find, we have websites that can help you find places to climb stairs. Yeah. Have you guys ever counted about how many dogs and cats you help in a year or, or that you have over time or anything? 
Yeah, over time, we're probably over a, a few thousand, but we've kind of narrowed. We're, we're more niche. We narrow down to those that are just say, let's call them less adoptable. So senior dogs and cats, the, 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 the animals that are going to get euthanized at a, a, at a shelter. With, like we have a seniors program. We match senior dogs and senior cats with senior people. Right. And everybody lives longer. It's so cool, Jess. Right. Like it's totally cool. We cover the bills and everybody lives longer. And, and same thing with, you know, animals that have like medical issues. We have families that, that stay with them. So yeah, it's, it's in the thousands, but we do them by the eaches, if that makes sense. Uh, I, want, I want to back up for a second. So when yeah. you say we cover the bills, what does that mean? That means that we we cover the vet bills, we pay for the food, we pay for the cat litter. We're like a poorly run Amway business. <laughs> I go once a month and get all this stuff wholesale, and then we deliver it to our volunteers and they distribute it right to our to our senior families and to our our, our long term adoptive care. But we cover all the medical expenses, which it's expensive, right? The medical school, veterinary school is medical school, so. So, so veterinary you know, care is expensive. And so we cover that. In all the years you've told me about your charity, I don't think I, you've ever told me that. I love this idea of like yeah. seniors getting a pet so much. My, my mother-in-law, you know, my, my father-in-law unfortunately passed away from cancer and, yeah. and it's yeah. her and her puppy. And right. that, that dog is a great benefit to her life, to actually to all of our lives because of her mental health and her happiness right. to be able right. to have companionship. Yep. I love yeah. that idea. It's great. And, and we do take senior animals because sometimes if you think about, you know, some of the seniors may not want to get a, a puppy or a kitten because they, they might not, the, 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 the pet may not live them, right? And then what to do? So, so we match up older, older folks with older dogs and pets. And, uh, and it's just a, I could tell you a ton of uh, stories about it. That's just where they've come alive, right? Some of these older folks have just, just really come alive because we need to, like, we need love as an action verb. Right? You need to care for something, someone, and that act of caring, all of the, the feelings of love are an unintended consequence of the actions of love. Right? Those, that's, it's the actions of, of taking care of something that, that makes you feel good. You don't, you don't do the actions because you feel good. You do the actions and you feel good. So, and it gives these, it gives these seniors some, some, brings them back to life. So, yeah, no, I love it. Okay. Everybody go okay. check out the website. Thanks for doing this, Brian. And uh, everybody, please tune in for part two. Thank you.